Good morning, Courtright. My name is Alex. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to add my word of welcome to what was said at the beginning of the service. Uh, Before we read from Scripture, let's take a moment to pray. Dear God, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the many ways that you've blessed us. Um, We confess, Lord, that that, um, even as we anticipate reading from your word now Uh, we are often distracted by lots of other voices in our lives Um, there's noise and we rush towards it i pray that you would give us your focus this morning Um, uh, we repent of our lack of attention to you of our confusion and our willingness to let uh, all of the distractions and preoccupations in our lives at times get the best of us. And, and so we turn together as a congregation to your word now, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our understanding, that, that you would shine your light into the dark corners of our circumstances, and that you would give us your wisdom, give us your focus, give us... Uh, a new passion for the purposes that you have established for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are reading from the same passage we did last Sunday, and that is Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday, we heard that passage explained. Um, Allison preached on the passage. This morning, you've already heard that we have a healing service. Whenever we hold the healing service, we make it a priority to invite someone, sometimes more than one person, to share their story of healing their story of God's presence and the difference he has made in their lives uh, with us as a congregation. And this morning is no exception. Uh, And so we're thinking of the testimony that Helen Duhamel is going to bring in a moment as an illustration of what is described in that passage we just read, that this resurrection power that we heard about last week uh, is available for every one of us. And sometimes we 
have expectations that are way too low of what God can do. Uh, but it's good for us to be reminded that God is present. God changes things. God heals us. And so Helen is going to bring a story from her life of the resurrection power of Jesus at work within her and through her. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure you are too. Hi, I'm Helen Duhamel, and I'm a member of Courtright Church. I have the privilege of sharing my testimony today. It's about being hurt, being filled with unforgiveness, and God healing me. My story begins in 1949, 1950, that's when my parents met, and my brother Herb was born in January of 1951. They were very happy, but then my mom accidentally got pregnant for me, and uh, things were rough. She was very sick with the pregnancy, and uh, my dad was a truck driver who was only home on weekends, and, uh, well, things just weren't good. Uh, she wasn't able to tend to him as a, a wife normally does. And I was born in September of 1952. When I was about 18 months old, a woman came to the door asking to see my dad. My father had had an affair. My mother, not knowing any better, just got really upset, grabbed my brother and me, and walked out the door and started a whole new life. We would never know our father, our real dad. My mom got remarried in 1954, and they seemed happy for a while. Uh, for a few years, they were happy. When I was five, I was looking out the w bedroom window, and I noticed a man outside, and some questions came to my mind. So I called my mom over, and I said, where did that man come from? And she said, I don't know, maybe from his home. And I said, before that, she says, oh, you mean who made him? And I said, yes. She says, God made him. I said, well, who's God? And she says, well, he lives up in the sky. And uh, so I pushed my face against the window to take a peek, and she giggled and said, you won't get to see him until after you die, and that's when you're older. But she walked out of the room, but something inside of me said, look out the window anyway. So I looked out again, and I saw the left arm of the Lord and a blue sleeve blowing in the wind. I knew that he was real. When I was seven years old, it was time for me to make my first Holy Communion. It meant everything to me because I was told I would get to wear a white veil, a white dress, white shoes, and that I'd be receiving communion, which would be receiving Jesus. This is what we were taught. And I was very excited. It meant a lot to me. But before you make your first Holy Communion, you have to go to the priest and make your first confession. And... Uh, you're allowed to laugh at this. As God is my witness, this is what really happened. I knelt in the confessional and waited for the priest to slide open the window. And when he did, he said, yes. And I said, Father, please forgive me for I have sinned. This is my first confession. He said, yes. I said, proudly, I have no sins. I was seven years old. He says, I'm sure there's something you did. He says, don't be afraid, child. Sincerely, I said, I have no sins. Okay, he says, do you talk back to your parents? I said, no, I'm not allowed to. He says, do you have siblings? I said, what's those? He says, a brother or a sister. 
At this, at this time, I only had a brother. He says, do you fight with him or pick on him? I said, no way, he's bigger than me. He says, well, have you ever stolen anything? I said, no, it's a sin to steal. This dear priest looked up to heaven and started to say, oh, Father, this child is at such an impressionable age. She must learn to call out to you now. Inside, I thought, I'm not making the priest happy. So I said, okay, I have a sin. And he says, yes, thank you, Father, thank you. And he said, don't be afraid, child. Confess your sin. I said, well, there's this boy that lives down the street, and he made me mad. To me, that was a good confession. And he says, so what did you do? And uh, he says, did you yell at him? Did you swear at him? I said, no, I'm not allowed to do that. He says, well, I'm sure that whatever you did, uh, you can confess. So I said, the first thing that popped into my head, I said, I took a knife and cut off all the fingers on his right hand. The priest believed me. He was just in total shock, and, and I thought, Helen, that's too much. Take some back. I said, no, I didn't do that. And he looked at me as if I was some kind of liar, and I didn't want him to think that. I said, I only cut two or three fingers off. At that moment, I felt really heavy, and I just wanted the confession to be finished. I, I was tired all of a sudden. And the priest said, you got help for the boy. I said, I did? He said, you went in and got his mother. I said, no way. I, I knew that if I cut somebody's fingers off, the last person I'd want to see is his mother. He said, well, what did you do with him? I said, I just left him there. He'll be okay. And so the priest got up and walked out of the confessional. And I looked down at my fingers. I was twirling my thumbs, and I thought, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I have to take a sip, excuse me. Suddenly, my curtain ripped open to my confessional booth, and there was a six foot, 200 pound nun there. And she came out, she grabbed me by the hand, by the arm, and pulled me up into the air. That's how big she was. And, and I thought, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall. My feet were dangling, and she's doing this in front of all the other classmates. She got me to the front of the church. She put me at the, at the pew there, and she said, get down on your knees and pray. Repent. She says, don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. You keep your eyes at the front. And the first thought that came to my mind is I didn't fall. I was so glad that I didn't fall. And I saw Jesus on the cross, and I knew he really wasn't there. And, but I was glad that he knew that I didn't really do anything except lie to the priest. So I was just enjoying the scenery at the front of the church, seeing everything that was up there, when all of a sudden I heard my mom's voice. And I turned, and there she was. She was talking, but she wasn't moving her lips. She said, Helen, what on earth did you do? I said, well, the good news, Mom, I didn't do anything. I just lied to the priest to make him happy. She says, oh, really? She says, look at the priest. Does he look happy? I said, no. And so she ended up having to talk with the nuns, and they sent me home for the day. I didn't have to be at school anymore that day. And on the way home, my mom said, you just wait till your dad gets home. And I thought, is somebody in trouble? I didn't know. Uh, 
because I was a slow learner. I didn't grasp onto things. So when we got home and my dad got home, he ended up laughing. He was very, very nice to me, my stepdad. Anyway, moving right along, I really don't mu remember much over the next couple of years till I turned seven and a half, eight. Uh, I, when, when I turned eight, when I turned eight, my mom got pregnant. And everything was hush-hush in our household. I didn't know why, but I did know that there was tension in the house. Mom was irritable and distant, and somehow I thought I had done something wrong. My sister was born in August of 19, uh, well, I don't remember the year, um, but she uh, was born and um, she was kept hidden. One day while I was getting ready to go to school, I heard a baby cry and I said, what's that noise? And my mom said, it's your sister, it's a baby crying. I said, well, can I see her? She says, you can after school. And I didn't know what was going on, but dad wasn't home much that year. But nine months later, my mom got pregnant again. But this time, it was Dad's baby. And he was very happy when Jeanette was born in October the following year. There was always turmoil in the home due to the other sister. It certainly wasn't fair to her. She was devalued for being the other, another man's child. Now, I have a neurological disorder called Tourette syndrome, and that added to tension between my mom and me. She told me that God gave me this condition because she had laughed at somebody who had the same condition when she was pregnant for me, and she was always sending me to my room or outside. She couldn't stand my nervousness, and at the time, I didn't know I had it. All I knew is I was always in trouble. At times at the dinner table, my dad would slap the table in front of me and say, stop doing that. So I'd sit up straight or I'd close my mouth while eating and he would say to my mom, she doesn't know what she's doing. Once when I was outside, I saw a girl around my age and said, hey, do you, do you wanna hang out? And she said, maybe. She says, why are you doing that? I said, why am I doing what? She says, don't you tell me you don't know what you're doing. She says, you're twitching your eyes, you're shaking, your face is doing movements. She says, if I were you, I'd go to a doctor and get fixed. And she walked away. Suddenly, I knew why my dad was hitting the table and telling me to stop doing that. I never knew. I had no idea. And I felt like all of a sudden that the whole world was watching me and I felt guilty. I felt condemned. I felt ashamed and I thought, what am I going to do? I needed to hide. So I went to the house and I went up the stairs quietly, got into my room and stood by the bedroom window. My mom came by and noticed my door halfway closed. She opened it and said, what are you doing in here? I said, mom, I just really need to be in my room. She says, okay, fine, but you, you leave me alone. And when she walked out, I thought, why couldn't I say, mom, why am I different? But it didn't come out. Needless to say, school was hard. Either the kids made fun of me or they kept their distance. Some of the kids were afraid of me. Throughout the years, I received lots of verbal and mental abuse. Mom would keep reminding me that I was to blame for her marriage breakup to my real dad. 
My Tourette's was punishment from God. To top it off, I wet the bed till I was 11, and uh, I didn't do well in school. I felt so devalued, rejected, afraid of everybody. Kids my age, the list goes on. I always, right through my 50s, felt below every girl and every woman. Needless to say, I had a lot of baggage. Although it's hard to share this, I have had three marriages, failed marriages. You cannot enter a marriage with loads of baggage, a nervous disorder, and expect the relationship to work. It, it doesn't. It didn't. Although I became born again on Tuesday, November the 6th of 1979, the road to inner healing didn't start to happen until I started to attend Upward Bound at the, the Women's Bible Study at Courtright Church. We would study books. Some of the books I read were Boundaries. I learned I had boundaries. I didn't know I had any. God Will Make a Way and The Purpose Driven Life. Let me tell you, a lot of tears were shed uh, during these studies because God had to bring all these hurts up. I had so many hurts uh, from my childhood, from my marriages. There, there, there was just so much. It got to a point that I thought the hurts would never stop coming. That's how much there was. And then I had to handle the whole situation over to him. And slowly I began to receive healing, peace, grace, and love. When I entered my 60s, I'm going to be 68 this year, I learned through a study that I was lovable. I never knew I was lovable before that. Throughout my whole life, I couldn't receive love because I had never been given it. I couldn't believe that I was actually lovable. My kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids show me love, but without God's help, I might never have been able to receive their love, which I cherish with all my heart. In 1973, I became pregnant with my first son, David. I'd had two miscarriages before him, and someone in the family told me, that I would be pregnant and that I would lose the baby. And both times she was right. Then two weeks before David was born, she showed up at my place and said, something's going to be wrong with the baby. When he's born, he's going to have to stay in the hospital. So there's going to be lots of problems. And, uh, and then she left. When I crawled into bed, I said, Dear Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I was still Catholic at the time, so that's how I prayed. I said, please let her be wrong and I fell asleep. Before I knew it, I was standing in heaven. I was standing in a room, and the first thing I did was look down because I was in my pajamas, and I wasn't pregnant in heaven, and my feet were bare, and I was standing on nothing, but what I was standing on was more solid than any place on the face of the earth, and I knew that like in less than seconds. I, I just knew it. To the left were three chairs, and my, my angel was in the first chair. In front of me was a table, and on it was a baby wrapped in a big, white, fluffy cloud. To the right, God was standing there, and it was the Shekinah glory. I didn't see him. I just saw this light going around. It would come to a tip and go back in, come out to a tip and go back in. 
and he was beautiful to see. The walls were a beautiful blue to let me know the baby was a boy. And the colors in heaven are vibrant. I know there's places on the earth that the colors are beautiful, but I want to tell you they're dull compared to the colors in heaven. They glisten, they glitter, they're alive, they're absolutely beautiful. I didn't even think of getting on my knees before God because I wasn't kneeling on him here on earth. I didn't have that kind of a relationship with him. All I could think of was me. I put my hand towards the baby and I looked towards the light and I walked towards the baby and I said, can I take a peek? On the inside I heard, no, that's a surprise for when he's born. And I kept walking and I said, just one little peek. And as I touched a cloud, I was climbing back into my bed and I fell asleep. Two weeks later, I gave birth to a beautiful, healthy boy. David was born. Um, in 1978, I had the privilege of becoming a mother again. This time I gave birth to my second son, Jimmy. But as of 1979, I was a single mother for the second time. So here I was in Guelph, Ontario, where the Lord brought me. And I was visiting my mom. And one day she asked me if Jimmy was baptized. And I said, no. And, and back then, you know, when I was growing up, we were taught that if a baby dies without being baptized, they go to limbo. So I ended up leaving that day, and I came back to visit her two weeks later, and she said, Jimmy's being baptized in two weeks. All you have to do is go to church and, and to a mass and to confession and to a mass, and then it's okay for him to be baptized. I says, I can't go to church. My mom said, why? I said, I'm a sinner. She said, what brings you to that? I said, I divorced. I lived common law. I have two kids from two different fathers. I, I've been an, uh, uh, an alcoholic. I've been a drug addict. I can't go to church. I left feeling really defeated. On the way home, I said, dear Jesus, Mary and Joseph, I said, I know that I'm a sinner. And I said, I know I can't go to church. And I said, if I go to church, how do I know you don't come down and kick me out in front of everybody and humiliate me? I said, I can't do that. If I'm allowed to go to church, show me a sign. Well, a couple of weeks later, I found myself walking into the Church of Our Lady. The parishioners were saying the Lord's Prayer. It was like music to my ears. And I, it was soothing me. It was just soothing me. I, I don't know how, to, how else to say it. And when I walked into the confessional, I reached up to close the curtain. And when I reached up and closed the curtains, I felt the brush of angel wings all around my head. I knew I was accepted, but I didn't know why. Unforgiveness, what is it? I'm gonna tell you a quick story. Hallmark, the card place. They took a bunch of cards several years ago to a prison in the States for Mother's Day. And they said to the prisoners, come on down. You can do a card up for your, your mom. We'll, all you got to do is have the address. We'll supply the stamps, the pens, and, and the cards. And all kinds of prisoners came. And they had such a good turnout that Hallmark said, we're going to do this again next month for Father's Day. 
So the, the following month before Father's Day, Hallmark showed up with all these cards. They did the very same scenario as they did for Mother's Day. Not one man came to do a card for Father's Day. That tells me a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people. Unforgiveness helps us to stay in bondage. That's what it is to those who have wounded us. It's an enemy of our soul. Does anger ever swell up inside of you? Do uh, you remember pain from your past at times? You know, you could be at work, you could be grocery shopping, you could be vacuuming in the house. All of a sudden, this, this pain from the past uh, comes there. I've been there so many times. I've walked to, through scenarios in my mind where I'm telling that person off. I've been there and done that plenty of times. For years, I was haunted by a scene from my past, and it hurt. And every time I thought of it, I didn't even want to think about it. That's how piercing it was for me. One day, God said, you want me to do something I can't do. I said, you're God. What can't you do? And he reminded me of that scene, that very painful scene. He says, Helen, you want me to go back there and stop it from happening. He says, I can't do that. It happened. Now give it to me and let me heal you. So that's what I did. God wants to take all your unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, and jealousy, and he wants to heal you. You see, I don't even cringe now when, I th when that thought comes to my mind. Sheila Thompson, a member of Courtright Church, I was sitting with her one day telling her of a very painful experience. She says, Helen, clip your hands together and try as best as you can to put that painful memory into your hand. I said, okay. She said, can you do that? I said, okay. So that painful memory was in my hand. She said, now give it to Jesus. So I went like this, and I put my hands back. She says, no, no, Helen, give it to Jesus. So I, I did it again. I put my hands forward and went back. She says, no, Helen. She says, picture the hands of Jesus under your hands. Now turn your hands over and empty the, the scenario and put it right in his hands. Now Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in faith, I did exactly as what she said. I took a step of faith, I put it in his hands, then I put my hands under his hands, and I pushed it back up to him. And now, like I said, I don't even cringe at this, the, the painful memory that I had discussed with her, which was another. I had lots of painful memories that I had to hand up to Jesus. If you have trouble forgiving someone, ask God, what's the root issue? Why can't I let go of this, Jesus? And in time, he'll bring it to you because he's a master of healing. He's a master of, of being able to set you free from the pains inside. You may need to cry. You may need to hit a wall, but then give it to him. My favorite verse, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Do, I, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. 
I, I delved right into the Bible when I first got saved because the people that led me to the Lord, the, the guy that led me to the Lord gave me two uh, Bibles, a King James Version and then a newer version. And Herb White said, Helen, read um, Romans 8, 9, and 10, and, or 7, 8, 9. I don't remember, but I read them, and I read the Bible, and I still had a lot of fear. But when I came to this verse, God was able to take that verse and apply it to me, and he took my fear away. Now, in 2011, I attended a Be in Health conference, and there was a teaching on the unloving spirit. I thought, wow, I never knew there was an unloving spirit. I wrote down a lot of notes about the unloving spirit. But I knew that I had been treating un treated unlovingly all my life. And... Um, a lot of people that are mean-spirited, they have this unloving spirit in them. And you know, God showed me that when you're taken in, you're, you're getting all that pain shoved in your face and you're thinking, this is so hurtful, why are you doing this to me? But on the other side, he's looking at the other person that's dishing it out and he knows that that person's being dominated by the spirit of um, the unloving spirit, and they're mean-spirited. And inside, they're in a lot of turmoil themselves. And they don't know how to be healed. They don't know about God. They don't know how to, to give their hurts to God and to be healed. So it, it, it's a turmoil for everybody. In, in time, as I went through the Bible studies through this conference, I learned that God did not give me Tourette's. Even though I had been taught this all my life, I was taught that he's a loving God and gives good things to his children. You see, I saw God as a split God. Half of him was good, and the other half, well, he gave me this disorder. I couldn't trust him. I didn't know how to trust God. He was God. But somehow, half of him was against me. Now I was learning the truth. God has been healing me in many ways, and there's still lots to come. I'm on medication for my Tourette's, and God opened the door for me to get this medication, and I'm very grateful for that. One night when I got home from Bible study, I couldn't sleep, so I thought I'll grab a book and start to read, and, and that'll make me tired. Suddenly, God said, you haven't dealt with how your mother treated you. I said, how am I supposed to do that? Like, there was so much, to, there was no way I knew how to do that. He said, get a pen and paper. He says, mark down everything. I marked down the hurts, the, the rejection, the intimidation, the unforgiveness, the everything. I wrote it all down. And then he said, now give it to me, which I did. And when I did, I felt something happening in the pit of my stomach as I was sitting in the middle of my bed. And I knew that God was healing me of all these painful experiences at two o'clock in the morning. All I know is I wanted to have the opportunity to share with everyone. It's important to give everything to God. The pain, the heartache, the tears, the broken heart, the crushed heart, the anger and frustration. Yes, even the anger. And even how a person treated you, 
Every detail matters to God. If it matters to you, it matters to God. God wants to heal you from beginning to end. And just in case you don't know, I just got to tell you, everyone, everyone listening, God loves you. I have a, a poem, and it's called Scars, and it's by Patricia Wiseheart. And if you want to have a copy of this poem, uh, Pastor Justin is going to have it downloaded for you to retrieve. Uh, for you that have been hurt, this poem will really minister to you. Bye-bye and God bless.